This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another edition of our podcast. I'm Gavin Spittle, joined by my bestie, Craig Ludwig. How are you, Craig? I'm great, bestie. I, I heard our, our podcast. Do we have a name for this thing yet? We're working on it. We're oh, workshopping okay. it. We do have a name. We do. No, we we're, do? Going, we're going with spits and suds. Yeah. Spits and suds? Yeah. that Everyone likes spits and suds, so we're going with spits and suds. All right. Yeah. You like it? Whose idea was that? Yours. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, the, our, our four listeners have good taste then. <laughs> but, that the, the, and that includes the three that are in your room right with, now. With, with, <laughs> with big time podcasts, it takes time. We got to get licensed, all that stuff before we officially... Lay it out. So unofficially, it's spits and suds. How's that? All right. Yeah. There. There we go. So, huge trade in the NHL this morning. Jack Eichel is now a Vegas Golden Knight. Let's get Craig Ludwig's thoughts. Um, it's about time. I, I mean, I, I would if I was in, if I were inside of Jack's Jack Eichel's head, I'd say it's about time. I think first and foremost, um. The first thing that comes to my mind is I, I feel I'm happy for the kid, for Jack. Um, not necessarily because of, you know, all the back and forth and the lawyers and the agents and all this kind of stuff getting together. But now he can finally get the surgery that he wants. And I think at the end of the day, <clears throat> regardless of if you're an athlete or a librarian or a DJ in a, in a radio booth or whatever you guys call it in there. Um, you just want to get healthy. And, and it sounds like that they're allowing him to have his choice of the type of uh, hopefully corrective procedure that he wanted to do. I guess there were a couple different uh, versions of what he could do for the disc that's in his back, neck, wherever it is. And he had his route that he wanted to go after. And I think that Buffalo and it sounds like their staff wanted him to have a different kind of procedure. And at the end of the day, it is your body, but as we all know, uh, and especially <clears throat> athletes and when you're an employee of a, you know, big company, meaning a sports organization is a uh, long time ago. I was long, long time ago. I was told uh, you will realize at some point in, in your career or during your career that you really are just a piece of meat. And, and that's kind of the way he's been treated. Um, so it's nice to know that, that uh, they can start to, and this is just the beginning, to be able to put, put everything behind them and, and Jack can move on. And, you know, as far as the move goes, um, you know, it, it, like I said, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe when we first started about Vegas. They, they don't care. <laughs> Talk about pieces of meat. Um, I think Buffalo's getting a very good player back when healthy and Alex Tuck. I, I agree. really, really like, I really like this guy. I don't know if he, it's an even trade when they're both healthy. I, I think that Vegas, I think anytime that you, you make any kind of a move 
the, the team that ultimately wins is the one that gets the best player. And, and I think that when, when healthy Jack Eichel can be a, you know, top 10, top 15 player in the NHL. And when you surround him with better players, he's just going to be that much better. And here was a key um, with Tuck, Craig, is that, you know, when you look at that contract, as of 23-24, it has a modified no-trade clause. So you had to get it done as far as if you wanted to move him. Um, but I agree with you. I like Alex Tuck. The prospect is good. And a third and first rounder. So for... The way I'm looking at it is, yeah, if Jack Eichel becomes a superstar, Vegas is the winner. However, for a team that really didn't have many bargaining chips in that they were going to lose the player regardless, I think they got a pretty good haul. Well, again, what you're doing is you're 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 hoping for the future, right? I mean, you're talking about Krebs and you're hoping he turns out to be what he's estimated and projected to be. And he could be a good centerman. Is he going to be number one, number two? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's a big player. I know nothing about him. And then when you talk about the picks, you know, yeah, the first rounder, I mean, it's really, I don't know. I I think today you start getting picks in the first, you know, 10, 10, 12 picks. Obviously if it's in the first three, that's, that's a little bit different story, but it's really the way scouts are and everything today and all the knowledge and all the eyeballs that they have on these players. It's really hard to screw up your first, you know, somebody in the, in, in the top 10, top 12. So now the third round pick that they got, you know, that to me, that's a bit of a throw in. Um, but there are there, I mean, again, there's a handful of players. I mean, Klinger, I think Klinger and uh, Jamie Ben used to use a couple. One was a fifth one, you know, maybe they're both fifth. Maybe the one was a seventh. whatever it is. You can, you can find that diamond in the rough. It doesn't happen too often. Um, now the other, the other issue for Buffalo is they got to go spend some more money. They got to get to the floor. They're not even at the salary cap floor. So now they're going to have, now are they going to make another move? Maybe that's part of Adams, the general manager's plan. Maybe there's somebody else out there. I think they're two or $3 million below the, the floor uh, as far as the salary cap goes. And then you go to the other side of the coin. Doesn't this sound familiar? So Eichel's surgery and rehab, and it's going to be three to four months before he's ready to go. Well, when is three to four months? Right around playoff time. And they're going to be over the cap. So he, they got to figure something because he's got a $10 million salary. Yeah. So they're going to be over the cap right now in Vegas if he started playing, but they're going to put him on LCIR. Like they, like, again, I think there's a player a year or so ago that won a Stanley cup um, down South somewhere that everybody was, you know, talking about. And all of a sudden he comes back and lights it up and wins another Stanley cup and uh, Kucherov. Kucherov. So this kind of sounds kind of familiar, you know, but again, the other the other issue is Jack uh, Jack Eichel is going to be a good player, right? But is he going to yeah. be the Jack Eichel when and if Vegas makes the playoffs this year? What I like about this trade for Jack Eichel personally, I think he goes into now. I say that, but Flurry's been traded, uh, Ryan Reeves has been traded. So you're right. You know, Vegas is kind of one of those teams that's you know wheeling and dealing. But I do like some of those guys in the room, Craig. I do think Eichel can now not necessarily be that focal centerpiece where he can just play hockey. Because when Jack Eichel concentrates on just hockey, and if he's healthy, pretty darn good player. They don't have a problem trading players. They, they, they traded their head coach. Yeah, oh, <laughs> they get the cab ride home. Uh, the year that they go to the Stanley Cup final next year, he's gone. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is what I was talking about with Vegas. And and again, I, I guess it's what, what side of the fence you're on. But even Nate Schmidt, I really like that player. I, I thought too. he was a really good defenseman. Now he's been on a couple different teams since, and I think he's been rattled since he left Vegas uh, after I think he got like a six or seven-year deal there. So anyway, but they traded the head coach in Gerard Gallant, or they didn't trade him. They they basically said bye-bye. Um, after getting taking an expansion team, not your traditional expansion team, I guess, because they they did load it up um, and take him to the Stanley Cup final. So, but... Uh, on the other side of the fence, you got to give them credit because they're saying we want to win. And they've been saying that for a few years. And I, I just, you know, you look at so many teams, um, been on a few of those that it, it you know, there's a, there's an old saying, you got to go through it to get to it. And so you have to go through some of these experiences as a group to, to get to the end of the rainbow. And, and very rarely do you win it in year one. So one of the things I like about doing the podcast with you, Craig, is, is, you're going to give us first-person perspective. So, I mean, we can express our opinion on the trade, 
But tell us in your career, because you were in a room where numerous trades happened, whether it was Montreal, uh, you know, whether it was here in Dallas, whether, you know, I mean, the teams that you were on. So tell us what it's like for the room for a player coming in and what it's like for a room that that loses that player. Well, I think that's the that's the tap dance that a general manager has to, you know, kind of lightly step around. And um, you you have to know your room. You have to know how your players all feel about each other. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters is those 23 guys in those four walls. And how is the camaraderie between them? And, and you learn that, you know, you don't learn it just by watching games. You watch how they come to the rink at practices. You watch how they interact on the road. Uh, you, you know their mannerisms. You hear things. You, you have to gain trust of a couple players in the room as a general manager, in my opinion, <clears throat> that you can go ahead and talk to and say, hey, listen, you know, really like this guy. Um, how's he fitting in? Or on the other side of it, I don't know many general managers that do this. I don't know. Maybe there's more than I know, but there are times when I'd be just this, just deal uh, today. I would be talking to some of my players on my team in the room that have played against cycle. And maybe you don't know them as personally as you want to know them, but if you play again, let's just say Max Pacioretty. So they're in the East, they play against each other enough times for, how does he act? How does he, what do you hear and what do you see out of games when they're down, when he's not having a good game? How does he handle it? How does he look at the bench? How does his own players react to him with his attitude? I think there's little things like that that you can learn. And then you have to go, okay, how's this guy going to fit in? I always go back to Hully. Um, Again, I I love that guy. He's accomplished so many things. And and I think I like him more off the ice than when as a, as a player and a teammate, because I think there's certain, uh, characteristics that we both have. But when Bob decided to make the move to bring Holly in, we had a really strong room and Holly's a really strong personality. And, and Holly had a specific way that he played the game. There's things that he believed in and why shouldn't he? He's only got 700 plus goals in his career, but sometimes that can backfire. If that player isn't a little bit moldable, uh, to be able to buy into the system, the philosophy that you're trying to make. You, you know, you, you think about the team that we had, and we were in Dallas here. We were more of a, again, the era had something to do with it too, but we were hard to play against. We were a good defensive team, and and that was who we were. And, and you know, we didn't give up more than two goals a game, or at least that's what our, our MO was supposed to be. Now, a guy that wants to take risks and chances and, and continue to, to score goals like he is, there has to be a certain buy-in from him. But if you don't have enough strong personalities in there, at the end of the day, I, I think there's a there was a point where Holly would look around the room and go, Jesus, uh, who am I going to influence to get him to play the way and understand how I want to go about this business? And there's just not, a, and you don't have a choice. You, you know, you, you you buy in, and we've seen a lot of moves that have been made in the NHL over the years where they bring players in that they think are going to be the savior, and they last a year or two. They just didn't fit in, and so I think that's that's why the GM. You know, that's why they get to pay the, the big dollars. You know, they got to be a, a psychologist and, and, and everything else. And, and so, you know, so I, I think fortunately for me, I can really only speak. I came in, you know, I started my career in a, in a storied franchise in, in Montreal. There, there, there's so much history. There, there's so much commitment to the logo. Um and it was about the, the it was about the name on the front of the jersey, not the one on the back. And you knew that the day that you walked in, and and so there was a commitment to your teammates, and, and as much off the ice as there was on the ice. Um, we spent a lot of time together, and and I think the I, I'm not a big fan of when there's training camps and some teams nowadays they have their camp in their own in their own uh, city or at their own practice rink for the three four days. It's a lot shorter than what it used to be, but. You know, when you have new players that come in, to me, the best place to be is on the road where you were, where those new players can't come into the room, they practice, and then they go home to their wives and families. They're kind of forced to get to know everybody. So you get to go out of town for three, four days. We would go to Vail um, and train there and things like that. But what you would find is the first day or so, 
you'd find there would be groups of three or four guys walking around uh, to lunch after. And then the next day, that group went to six or seven. And then, and what you ultimately hope is you see 10 or 12 guys walking around town. It's exactly what happened with the teams that I was involved with. Uh, didn't take that long. But now all of a sudden, as a general manager, as a head coach, you're going, now they're all going to pull on the rope the same way. They got, they're going to be arm in arm when they go to war every night. And, you know, there's not a group of five and a group of four and a group of two. And then maybe there's four or five guys to get along. We had groups where we'd come off of a, a two-week road trip and you'd end up going out to dinner the next night you get back home. So anyway, that, that's, that's what I believe in because I, I've been around organizations that have had success and I believe in that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things that have to come into a trade here. Um, but the, you know, this is, and there's going to be all the eyeballs on them too. Right. I mean, this has been talked about and, and bantered all over the league and, you know, everywhere. So there's going to be a lot of eyeballs and everybody's that, that, that a Jack Eichel fan, they're going to be hoping that first game he plays, he looks good. He feels good. He does what he does. And then there's going to be the other people that going to hope it's a fail, whether they're an Eichel fan or, or, or a negative Vegas fan. And they're going to say, yep, you screwed up here. Uh, you know, $10 million, here you go again, bringing in players that don't work and you're just going to change the, the culture in your room. If there is a culture, you're going to change it again in a year and a half from now. So we'll see. Okay. Several discussion points. This is to me is fascinating. So you had a captain in Jack Eichel that now goes into a room. I have a captain in Joe Pavelski that goes into the stars room. I have a captain in Ryan Suter that goes into the stars room. Um, you had a captain in Joe Anuadike that came to Dallas. When a captain comes into the room, is it different? And how does that captain know when to speak up because they're new? Because, you know, I think Joe Pavelski said last year that it was a transition period. And I believe Ryan Suter is facing that transition period right now where even if you want to speak up, it's tough because you don't want to upset the captain at the time and Jamie Benn or some of the other players that have been with the club for a while. Well, sometimes I think that general managers bring in those kind of players, captains into rooms, because they're not really crazy about the leadership that they already have. And not that they don't like the players, they just wish there was more. There was more, whether it's vocally or just on ice or recognizing when a game is going sideways or when something just doesn't smell or taste right. There's got to be that group that, you know, and again, it's all about the leadership group. I, I've talked about this for years. We just went through it. Uh, we're going through it right now with our U18 team. We picked our captains and all that kind of stuff, even though it's a month, month and a half into the season. The time wasn't right. And, and now we figured out who they are. And we'll have that talk with them today when we get there. But the responsibility of that group, and, and we have four of them. And what, but with the responsibility that we're going to talk to these guys about is that group of four, that's, our, that's your core of your group. But we want that to become six and then eight and then 12 and then 14. And, you know, I, there, there was a year in, in Dallas and, you know, the four of us would go into Hitch's office and we would sit there and Hitch would always have the meetings with the captains in the office. And so we'd sit in there and we'd talk and he'd give us our responsibilities, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. Well, within a month or so, I remember walking in there because what would happen is, Hey, Hitch, these, these two guys, Keener's here now and Cargo's here now. And, you know, all these guys that had come in that were leaders and, you know, you give them time to buy in and be part of the group. Now they're part of the group <clears throat> and they're a big part of the group. Well, now all of a sudden there were eight of us sitting in that room and then there were 12 of them and we're in, we're in and Hitchcock is in there and Jarvis is in there. Um, Rick Wilson's in there. And it's not a, I mean, we're not talking about a big office. And I said, and I finally said to Hitch one day, and, I, and the guys were just filing into the office. And I said, Hitch, we need to just bring the four or five guys that aren't in the core and have them come into your office. And we'll just have the meeting in the locker room because we have a lot of my room. And he kind of giggled a little bit and he laughed and he goes, yep, that's what I want. So he was accomplishing what he wanted. We just started pulling people in. And so it, it's, it's a difficult job. Uh, I know when I, when I left Montreal, you don't want to kind of rattle the tree. And you don't want to say some of the things that you did when you were, and, I, and again, I had guys like Guy LaFleur and Larry Robinson and Bob Ganey, especially that I learned underneath. And, and so, but you kind of get a nudge once in a while from, from that guy that brought you in that general manager say, Hey, you need to speak up more. Like I remember Bob Ganey saying to me, 
in Montreal in my second or third year and just sitting there after a game. And I think we flew out and we were on a plane and he came and sat down next to me and he goes, Hey, you know, we talked about pun and kill and things like that. And he goes, how come you never say anything? Why don't you speak up in the room? And, you know, I didn't, I knew what I wanted to say to him, but I didn't really say anything to him because he's Bob Gainey. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Steve Shaw, Guy Lafleur, Pierre Mondu, Bob Gainey, Larry Robinson, all these legends are playing here. And you want me to say something like, like I, I wouldn't, but, but his, his comeback after I didn't have anything, he goes, you know why you don't is because you're afraid to be accountable. And he's a hundred percent right. Like when you say something in a room, like we have to do this, we got to finish our checks. We got to get pucks in deep, whatever it may be. Now, once you say those words in front of 19 guys, you have to do them. And so you're holding yourself more of accountable. And that's what he wanted to get the point across to me. It's like, speak up. you got to finish this. you got to do that because then you hold yourself accountable. And the rest of the guys that you're sitting next to, well, if Ludwig's doing it or if Carbo's doing it, or more importantly, if Moe's doing it, Madonna's finishing his checks and doing it, well, then I can do it too. So I think that it's a long-winded answer, but there's so many things that go into trying to get 23 guys all to understand. And, and there's a right time to make those trades. And again, like with Hullet, our, our biggest thing was, and I said this to you before, our, our, our management was like, how do we get past the Detroit Red Wings? I mean, we were making steps. Every year we were getting closer, but we, well, we couldn't get by Detroit. And, and that ultimately was Brett Hull. And so Mr. Hicks said, go get him. And I, I think that they ended up having a blank check and they went and signed Holly and, you know, lo and behold, it's all done and, and it's in the books right now. So, but you have to know the right pieces to add at the right time. And the other thing is sometimes some of the best trades are the ones you never make. And I'm not a big fan of making those deals at on deadline day, because now you're bringing in a guy, you, you've got what, uh, two weeks before the playoffs start, he's got to fit in the chemistry and all this other kind of stuff that has to come into place. So I, I really like what some of the GMs do. And I think Brian Burke is one of them. And, um, you know, th they make deals and they make trades a month or two, even before the trade deadline comes up. So again, it's about your philosophy, but, but I think you have to be in tune with your room uh, as a general manager, your head coach has got to know what's going on, which he usually does. Um, so you got to gather information. You got to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's no, no different than in any business than yours. And you probably know the camaraderie of the people that, that work underneath you and side by side. And you kind of know the, the ones that are pulling on the rope the right way and doing the things that they're supposed to. And when they don't do the things that they're, they're not asked to do uh, uh, just for the, the better of the group, um, that may be when there's a change being made. And I just want to say this, um, you know, like the new England Patriots before they won the Super Bowls, before they were that dynasty, wasn't necessarily a great football city in that the fan base wasn't there. I remember going to games, there were 17,000 people. I remember there was talk about them moving to St. Louis. And the point I'm getting to is that it was an excellent football city, and now that's the number one sport because winning cures everything. And I say that to say, as a guy who played in the former Adams division, Buffalo to me is a great hockey city that has fallen on a long period of hard times, but Sabre fans are dedicated and they want a winner and they still go to games. And I'm actually cheering for them because that is a terrific hockey city. You played there several times. What were your thoughts? Exactly what you said. Uh, they're, they're loyal. They're, there's a loyalty there. And, and, and you, I mean, you don't really have to say that because all the years that they've gone through what they're currently going through it, this isn't just a one-off it's been happening to this organization for a long time and not only is it buffalo it's amazing how many canadian uh fans that they have that will drive across the border um that are buffalo sabers fans and you know and they've got a team called the toronto maple Leafs right in their backyard so um there's a great rivalry um i believe that they were in the top two or three uh as far as TV uh, audiences, sizes, and capacity um, from tuning in for their games. So it just tells you that what they what they've done. And again, I I think they're they're to me they're a blue collar city now. Now I think their football team is is back on, uh, and and they seem to be taking steps in the right direction. And so now they've got some competition. I guess fortunately 
the guy that owns the teams, he's the owner of both, both football and hockey. So um, I think before when you, when you, when you own the hockey team and, and, and then you own the football team and you had separate owners, well, then one's kind of looking at the other one, what the hell do we got to do? So now at least they're, uh, you know, they, this is a big day for, for the Sabre fans, just because there was a cloud over that city and it's, and it wasn't the winning and losing. It, it was this. And, and I think they're sad to see him go. But as this thing went on and on, and I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a big portion of those fans that were down on the organization going, Hey, this is no good for anybody. And we've got it. We've got to do something. He obviously is frustrated that he hasn't been moved. He's frustrated. He can't get the surgery that he wants. And I think after a while as a general manager, you, you know where you're at. And now, now you can only do what you can do. Cause I, I don't know if, if you're ever going to win this deal, especially if you look at the, the, the long-term of, of Eichel, if he can be that player, you're not going to win this deal. And, and so, and, and that hopefully that happens for Eichel and, and Vegas, but, but again, I like Tuck and, and we'll see how Krebs and the other picks ultimately turn out. But I, I think he was kind of, Kevin Adams is in a tough spot with this one when he came into this. And so there was a lot been laid at his feet. And I think, but I think, you know what? And one of the other, the other big things, probably the most important thing that Adams got away with is he's not picking up any of the salary uh, of this contract. I think there was a lot of talk that if you're going to be, if you're going to be moving Jack Eichel and you don't know how he's going to be after this surgery, why do you want to pay the full boat on this guy, give up picks, give up, you know, top prospect and, and give up a, a top six forward for a guy you really don't know what you're going to get out of him. And so I think Adams did a great job considering what he was dealing with. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Let's move to our local team, the Dallas Stars, a nice comeback win or sorry, a nice comeback, which ended up in an OT loss. Uh, earlier in the week, but I wanted to focus on Dennis Gurionov. I personally see him much last night. No, (laughs) we certainly didn't. Um, I've seen enough out of Dennis Gurionov. I like him as a player. I respect what Rick bonus did. Let me just say that I respect because it takes guts when you're not scoring to take a guy that potentially could put goals in the net and scratch him. However, at some point, if to me, maybe you disagree, Craig, if you are saying that Dennis Gurionov is not playing true five-on-five hockey, and granted he did not have a point on the power play, at some point then you also have to look at the rest of your team, including some of your veterans, and say you're also not playing five-on-five hockey fit for the night. Oh, that that's fair. I mean, this is a... There's part of this that's a message. I mean, there, there's a message being sent here to the group, and and they didn't set out Jamie Ben, they didn't set out Pavelski or or Tyler or Radulov or Klingberg, but and but they also didn't set out you know a, a guy that's a Kivi Ranta or a Caro or or Glenn Denning or somebody like that. So this is kind of a middle of the road. We're not going to accept this anymore. And and is he a sacrificial lamb? No. But I, but knowing Rick Bonus is, my, and I don't know Rick like other people know Rick Bonus, but he's been around. I've, you know, I said this before, fifty plus years in this league, and when any coach is around that long, there's obviously some great qualities about him. And everything you hear about Rick Bonus is that the first time you see him in the morning, it isn't about the game last night. It's about you know what do you and your wife do, and how are the kids, and these kind of things. He truly cares about, you know what's going on in your life. And so I would assume that the conversation that was had with Dennis between him and his head coach, everything was, was spelled out. You know where you're at. You know why you're where you're at. You know why it's happening. I'm guessing that there was probably a one, this is, hey, this is a one-time thing. I need you to go up in the stands. I want you to watch the way that we're playing as a team and, and watch the ice and watch the game and pay attention. My whole thing about Garyanov is, I, I said this, I think, in our first one, I know what Garyanov is after watching him for three, four games. He likes to fly down the wing, and he'll take shots from, from the perimeter, and he's got a great shot. And 
and he likes the one-timer from his offside. I truly believe, and he's not the only one. I mean, you look at where Dallas is right now in scoring goals. They got to start playing inside the dots a little bit more. And it starts with him. And, you know, and what you hope for is, is one way or another, uh, when he comes back, it, something's going to go in the net for him. And you hope that, I would hope, that it's not going to be one of these one of these coming off the wing. How about the backhand? Remember the backhand that he took uh, a few games ago? Yeah, it was a thing of beauty to end the game. Where did he where did he shoot it from? He he, he was came three in. feet from the net. I mean he was he was he, he came off the wing but he cut into the net. And see if you and we do drills like this where you take uh cones, pylons, and you will take a cone and from out at your own blue line going in towards the goalie, you start them out about the faceoff dots. And then you you put about four of them on one side of the net and on the other one. And what it's doing is diagonally going right to the goalposts. In other words, you're funneling things to the net. And we'll do three on twos inside that. So and and the forwards have no choice. They can't go outside those those lines on them cones. And what you're trying to tell them is we're playing too much on the perimeter. We're going to funnel things to the net. We're getting in the dirty areas of the ice. I was just doing some stuff last night for our team today. And I'm I don't know how many clips I found of the games from last night where all these goals are scored from four, five, three feet, two feet in front of the net. They're, they're not a lot of perimeter stuff. And there's bodies in front. Goalies are too good. Teams pack things in. And it's tough to score from the perimeter. And, and so and unless you're on the power play. So you've got to be able to get a little bit dirtier. And I, I, I would think that with his speed, I, I remember Val, Natrushkin, and, and I really like Val and he's become a really good player in Colorado. And I always thought, if you put Val on his offside, big, strong, skate well, he was willing to cut in. And and, and I thought that because when you come in on your backhand, backhand side, like for him being left-handed, if he comes down the right side of the ice, he can get across the blue line. His speed number one will back a defenseman off. With the rules today, you can't grab him as he gets the edge on you. And as soon as you get perfectly even with Val, if he just starts to cut in, he's like a bull. And he puts that puts that left arm down and just cuts to the net and, and turn it into a shit show when you get to the net. Like bring it to the net and bring everything to the net. There's always good things that'll happen around that net, around a goalie's feet. And, and I think that's what Gary Onoff can do because of his speed and the way that the rules are today is when he comes across the offensive blue line, try to start getting to the net. Turn that defenseman, make him tug on you, draw a penalty. I don't know how many, I, I don't feel like Dallas draws enough penalties and there are times when I feel that watching them play, that they want to make the extra pass. They want to make a, a highlight reel kind of pass across the ice to somebody for that one timer from the other side, instead of just funneling pucks to the net yeah. and creating more offenses chances and, and bring bodies to the net. So, you know, <clears throat> that I, I just, and, and there are teams that can play that way. There, there's teams that are, you know, well-equipped with more skill through their four lines. And, and I think when you watch the, you know, the bottom six play and, and sometimes it, it bleeds over and you start to watch your top guys do it. And then you may want to be making that extra little pass where that's not what your game is. So I would like to, as a group, I hope they're, they're more direct. And, and I think that's what they need from Gary Onub. I think he just needs to start using his speed and bring pucks to the net and maybe score on the rebound. Maybe they don't, you know, it's more like a one and done with them. And so I think that as a group, not just as him, they need, I mean, and again, they're, they're at the bottom of the league when it comes to goal score. So whatever they're trying right now isn't working, but yes, they're getting chances, but they can't be one and done. You got to go in there and there's got to be more bodies going in there. There's times when, when Tyler Sagan takes a shot from the dot or outside, it seems like whether it's Rads or Jamie or whoever else is playing with them, instead of going to the net and anticipating that the goalie is going to make a stop, it's like you're getting ready to raise your arms because it's going in. That, that, and when it's not, all you have to do is look at the numbers and the stats. That ain't happening. And, and listen, they're not out of this thing at all. They're still in this good thing. St. Louis and, you know, teams like the Colorado's not doing great or as expected. St. Louis, you know, only picked up a point last night. So they're still hanging around in a nice neighborhood here because look, there's two teams in the league right now that don't have a regulation win. The other one's Arizona. Like there's a, when you look at regulation wins, Dallas doesn't have one yet. So, you know, is it panic time? No, because on the other side of the puck, Holtby's playing well, you know, they're still a good defensive team, but they just got to be a little bit more direct for me and they got to find a way to score some more goals here.
when you look at the comeback in Winnipeg, all of those goals, even Klingberg, even though it was from the point with some shifty moves, there was still havoc in front of the net that created that goal. My question is, is can they do that on a consistent basis? Because when they're in front of the net, like you said, things happen. It's just the consistency because there are games where I just see these shots from the side and goalies are just too good now. You know, I mean, we all can't have the Ovechkin one-timers. And if the, especially on the power play, Craig, everyone knows the puck's going to Sagan when he's out there. So the goalie's even going to lean toward that direction. If you can get someone on the offside, to me, then all of a sudden you're switching up. I love watching the Washington Capitals power play because as good as Ovechkin is, you have to make sure that you're looking out for Carlson. And, oh, yeah, there's TJ Oshie. So they have the players. So there's not one way that you can look because for a while I was saying, like, just put a body on Ovechkin. Just cover Ovechkin. But, oh, yeah, now there are these other guys that can also put the puck in the net. Well, I can solve that problem. Bring back Brendan Morrill. Brendan Morrill doesn't even have to skate like he used to skate. Yeah. But Brendan will still go to the front of the net. Brendan Morrill, if he scored 300 goals in the league, and I have no idea how many goals he scored in the NHL, I'll guarantee you 80 to 90% of them were within three feet of the crease. I just... That's where Brendan did his work. And and you, when you're on the other side of that, you think about it before the game. He's a distraction. He's a pain in the ass. He's hard to play. He's everything that you don't want if he's not on your team. Pat Verbeek, I can go down the list of players that play like that. You mentioned TJ Oshie, and everybody thinks of him. They probably remember him where he scored, what was it in the Olympics? Like when Six. they could send the same guy, what, three, four <laughs> shootout goals? Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, Olympic hero. <clears throat> you know, and TJ's got, he's had, what, three, four concussions. And a lot of that is because he plays in straight lines. As skilled as he is, you will find him in the front of the net. How many goals do you watch him score yeah. in the Brendan Morrow area? Yeah. And with the skill and hands that he has. So, and they have those players there. I mean, you got to, I give Radulov credit. I mean, he's 36 years old. And when Raz gets on his backhand, he can bring it to the net. He, he'll try to get it to the forehand to take the shot, but, but he still, he still tries to penetrate that area. You know, from a defensive side of things, you, you take lines and you, you know, what we call it the house. The house is from, from the, from the goal line up through the, the dots, the face-off dots, and then draw a line straight across above the goal. Uh, you know, about the top of the circle. Well, inside that square, that's where we don't want the other team to get to because that's the most danger, dangerous area on the ice offensively for the team to score. Yeah, one, so, of, the, one of the guys I'd really, because I've seen him a couple of times do it, but not on a frequent basis, I think Radic Foxa can be really good in front of the net because of that body size. He should be. Yeah, I agree. And and he's. I think he's been a, a little bit of a rough start for him yeah. so far. But <clears throat> But again... That that is who he is. That's that's his mo. Now, you know, I I don't know if he's he's playing with the right guys, but I, but I think when you look at the line that he's playing with, that's that's you know if he's playing with Glenn Denning and Raffle, that's a tough line to play against. So that's a that's an identity line, and so, but but I think what you're doing sometimes is you take a player, and not this doesn't I'm not specifically talking about Raddick, is that sometimes when a player has an identity. And then out of necessity and things aren't working, you take them and put them in a different position where if you're a defensive kind of guy, like if you took Carbo, if you took Guy Carbonell and started putting Carbo on the power play all the time, I think his defensive play, maybe not in Carbo's, uh, you know, exactly Carbo, but a player like that, he may start to think that he's actually an offensive guy. Not understanding that the reason that we're putting you there is because nobody else will go there. I don't want you to fade out when somebody starts coming to the front of the net or when Tyler's saying, I don't want you to fade across the other side of the ice and look for a one-timer. I need you to go to places that people aren't going. And we're not getting the traffic that you're talking about. You know, again, I, I just, there, there are times, it happened the other night too. I'm like, why did you just try to make that pass? You get below the dot. You have somebody else going to the net. Why did you just try to go backwards and hit a trailer coming in when you're four or five feet from the net? A pretty good shooting area. And again, now if that's Tampa Bay or, or, you know, some of the superstars that if they were healthy from Vegas, that's one thing, um, you know, Colorado, you know, you got McKinnon and Landeskog and, you know, all these guys that, that have super skill, they can play that way, but don't get confused on who you are as a group and who you are as a team and, and what your makeup is, you know, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from a guy like Tyler Sagan or Radulov. They have to do that kind of stuff. Joe Pavelski, 
how many goals does Joe Pavelski score from the tops of circles? I mean, you look at Joe, a lot of his goals are second yeah, chance. 30. Yeah. Like, he, he, he gets in there and he'll, he'll, I mean, again, he knows that he's not the fastest guy in the league right now. And, and he'll find a way to get to the net. And the other way that Joe scores goals, and we haven't seen a lot of them, and a lot of that ends up being on the defenseman, but he's probably one of the best players in the league coming to tip and pucks, and whether it's on his forehand, his backhand, but he plants himself, you know, somewhere around the hash mark to, to the net to tip those pucks in. So, but, you know, again, I could go on and on a bit. But again, they just need to start getting some dirty goals. And if you want people to buy in, it's the best way for coaches to be able to look back. So tonight, let's say they get three goals and they're all from three, four feet in front of the net, maybe a foot in front of the net. One goes off somebody's ass, one's a tip in and somebody gets a rebound and puts it upstairs. Now you go to your video guy and say, I need you to clip them and about six other quality scoring chances we got from right in tight. Now go back and find me five clips of where they're taking shots or they're making an extra pass that nothing happens out of it. And let's, let's just give them that information. And eventually you hope it clicks. Again, I don't want to say that these guys can't, can't score from a, a nice, a good play, but I don't know how many YouTube videos that you're going to see a Dallas star on. Uh, you're going to see it from other teams, you know, Panarin in New York. I mean, there, there's guys around the league, but I just don't see it happening right now. And so, you know, like I said, I just think you got to get a little bit more dirtier. And, and, and for instance, when they play Calgary, um, it's going to be tough to get to that area. And so you, you better, you better have the work boots on tonight. And and I wanted to ask you about Calgary. I mean, some people may listen to this podcast after the game, but as a defenseman or a forward, you've played against several instigators throughout your career. How do you deal with a Matthew Kachuk and who's a very, very good player, but would fall under that instigator kind of guy whereas if his team's not playing well he's going to take that extra slap at the goalie's pads and he's going to be in front of the net and he's going to be causing the scrums how do you how do you go about playing that knowing going in but not wanting to draw that two-minute penalty break his ankle (laughs) i I mean what'd you do to his dad well go back to the playoffs last year When, when dallas beat calgary Jamie Ben ran into Kachuk. He was done. So the head of the snake was gone for that team. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the way you do it, but but if you can, if you, you have to confront him. So it, it's not it's not Radulov, it's not Sagan, it's probably not going to be Pavelski. But is there anybody else on the lineup in the in the Stars lineup that if if Kachuk is out there and he start something with Tyler and just kind of jawing at him, pushing him that, that they don't step in front of them, push back and forth and then go off the ice with them, go to the penalty box with them. That's an even trade. The, 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 the trade that's not even is when Rads goes off or Sagan goes off. I mean, even Jamie, you know, I, I don't know how much yapping Kachuk is going to do when he, when he looks Jamie Ben in the eye, but if Jamie goes off and Kachuk goes off, I wouldn't be upset with that as a No, that's a good trade. Yeah, it's a good that, push. That, that's an okay trade. Yeah. So <clears throat> you don't let them run around and you set the tone early. But again, it, it's got to be a group of five. It's not just going to be one guy. And, you know, we don't have a Ryan Reeves here. Okay. We, we don't have that guy. And, but they do. They got, you know, even even though Luchik isn't, you know, he's not 25, but he's still a tough dude. So, yeah. you know, so you, you confront it by going off the ice with them. And, or, and you can't just leave him because, you know, a lot of times it'll just, yeah, I'll just leave this guy. Well, he's not the kind of guy that you can leave because he ain't going away. But, you know, like, like I said, I, you can be just as tough on him. And the one thing you can't do is you can't take the retaliation penalty because that that's even worse. <laughs> you know, that, that now he smiles at you. He scores a power play goal that, that that's, that's even worse. So I, I just think it's gotta be an even trade. And, you know, and there's got to be somebody on every line. That's me. And you're playing on the road, whether, I don't know, if Bones is going to change the lines up and if they're going to leave, you know, the, the Sagi with uh, Ben and Rads. But, but again, you have, you have somebody on every line. I don't know about if they keep Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski together. It, de- it depends on who they want to match up. They get last change anyways. So, but I, I think you try to, you try to have somebody on every line and you're on the road 
um, you know, and you can do that from the bench too. I mean, you can change on the fly that it, but, but again, it, the, the, the game kind of dictates how you're going to play too. I want to get a couple of games, more games under Thomas Harley's uh, belt before we talk about him. We could talk about him next week because I'm, I'm fascinated with your perspective on Harley because, you know, it's almost like we're watching and does that, does Harley's play make Klingberg potentially expendable? However, when you watch Klingberg's tying goal the other night, it just proves how special of an offensive player he is and how he quarterbacks the squad, especially in tough moments. But as we end, I like to end on stories or begin with stories because that's why I enjoy having the podcast with you. So they don't do it anymore, Craig, or do it as much, but I want to talk about the art of fighting because you were on the ice and I want to know how fights start. I know it's a simplistic question, but say you're down two to nothing. Maybe you weren't this guy and you want to change the momentum of the game. And I'm a forward. What do you say? What is there? Is there a general language that you speak? Do you chirp at them? How does the fight, I know when you go into a corner and something happens, I mean, that that can create a fight. I get that. What I want to know is the two guys and how they're at center ice or, you know, they both come out in the ice and they decide it's the best time to drop the gloves. How much of a mutual respect is there? Do you have to pay it back later in the season or down the road? Tell me about the art of fighting because I think as – Fans of the sport, a lot of people don't understand what happens on the actual ice. Well, this is probably a conversation for 15 years ago. So I but it still that, happens. There, there's not a lot of guys left in the league that that are that are those that was their role. And, and there's a few reasons for it. But I mean, obviously, the first one is concussions. The NHL doesn't want to pay the insurance and concussion, but you, you can't blame them. It's the health of the player. Um and you can't you can't afford now to have those kind of guys that we're talking about in the past that play six minutes a night or five minutes a night, and you can't pay them two million dollars. So so those players are gone. They've changed the rules a lot, but typically the easiest way to do it is, and I think sometimes the best way to do it is don't don't go after one of them. Like, don't go after Lucic tonight or don't go after Reeves. Go after, go after the best player. Go after their best player. And now, Kachuk, Kachuk, I, I don't know if Kachuk is a fighter. I mean, I, we no, don't see drops. him a lot of fights. He, he's just, he's an instigator. He knows, and, if he, he knows if he goes after somebody and somebody has to go after him, he might turn it down. But I have seen him respect the fight if yes. he injures a player and say, I understand I have to drop the gloves. Well, that's why you respect the player like that. You can respect what he's doing. I, I can go back to Matthew Barnaby. I mean, Barney was one of the ultimate yappers. Steve Ott, Steve Ott, let's just go from here. Otter was Otter was tougher than you thought. And Otter was and Otter knew exactly what he was getting into when he started to yap and chip. Otter would go as far as learning Finnish, Russian, Swedish, just so he could get something to get under somebody's skin. <laughs> really? He, that's awesome. Oh yeah, he'd learn he'd learn different languages. How, how to get to them. Like if you want to, you know, you want to call somebody out or you want to chirp somebody. And when, when you're doing it against a European that doesn't speak English, well, it doesn't even do anything. So Otter would try to, he would have to figure out in a different language. He would ask the guys, like, how do you say this? And, and so he would go that far. But Otter would be a guy that would, he's got no problem fighting guys. I mean, he knows he's not a heavyweight, um, you know, but then go to Shane Churla, like my, my roomie. Like Churls would fight anybody and Churls was tough. And, but at the time, it, there was a time where it was just tough guy against tough guy. And it, that's just what it was. But and as, as you go along, you're like, well, that's not really changing anything in the game because we expect that to happen. I, I mean, I don't expect, uh, I, I would never expect a, a Shane Churla type to skate by Brett Hull and two-hand him on the wrist. But that's what would change the tone of a game. But you got to be able to make sure that, the right guy's doing it. So when they come out, they don't lose the fight too. Be, you know what I mean? Like, so you, th- there's a, there's a media, a happy medium in all this stuff. And it used to be just when, when Reeves meets Wilson, that's the reason that the Rangers went out and got him. 
like Jesus, every time Tom Wilson's on the ice for Washington, and I, I think Tom Wilson is one of the most valuable players in the league because he can get you 20, 25 goals a year. He can skate. He can hit. I think he's learned how to hit now and not get suspended every 10 games. But if you want to fight with him, there's not many guys that can beat him. And, and so the Rangers go out and I'm not saying this is right, but they're like, man, this guy has a thorn of our side. We're going to, we're going to go get the biggest, baddest, toughest guy in the block in today's game, which is probably Ryan Reeves. Uh, I I don't know many others that are, and Reeves can skate. Um, He does a, he does a, a good job of playing the game too. So, but when Reeves and Wilson fight, I don't know if that changed the tone of a game. I, I don't think it changes the tone of a game because you expect those two to fight. You have to do something when you when you're down a couple goals. And it and it used to be where you just skate by the bench, the other bench, and and somebody would run your guy and somebody would step out. Like I'm not fighting you. I, I'm gonna you know I'm I'm going after your best player. Next time he steps on the ice, I'm gonna break his wrist. Now that all of a sudden not and, and the worst thing about it is their best player hears that. And he's sitting there going, well, what the hell did I do? And, and now all of a sudden he's on the ice and he's a little rattled. He's looking over his shoulder. He's getting rid of the puck a little bit quicker than he normally would. To me, that's the best way to go about it in, in the game is don't have a uh, tough guy, dummy, dummy, whatever people call them in today's game. Don't have them go against each other. It, it doesn't change the tone of the game. Start going after Panarin. Start, go after Sagan. Now I'm not saying going after Tyler, but I'm just saying, that gets the attention of your own club. When somebody takes a run at your own guy, not only do you get the, the one guy that's supposed to do that, but you get four or five other guys that are out there running around. And I could, like I said, a Matthew Barnaby, a Steve Ott. And, and I remember telling Otter a couple of times that when the last couple of years Otter was here and I'd say, listen, this guy's an idiot. And when we get down a goal, you go up to him and, you know, you whisper something to him or you kind of get your stick between his legs and lift it up and you're not to where it's a penalty, but he's going to drop his gloves and you gotta, you're going to have to bite the bullet and you're going to have to take one for the team. And Otter actually did it a couple of times and, you know, he draws a power play and then, you know, it, and then you're sitting in there as a player, a teammate, you're sitting there going, he just did that for us. He just did that. Now power play, go out and, you know, pay him off for it. Right. Great, great point. My only thing is, is Dennis Gurionov did that a few games ago when Joe Pavelski got checked fairly hard into the boards. Dennis Gurionov yep. didn't like it. He was yep. the one that rushed in, dropped the gloves, fought. We know he's not a fighter. That's kind of, I forgot to mention that a few minutes ago, but I thought he should have earned more points for that. To me, that's quality five-on-five hockey. I understand you're not scoring, but when Rick Bonus talks about the little things, that to me showed that this guy's into the game and he cares about his teammates. I agree hundred percent. And it's not the first time he did. I remember him doing yeah. what last was it last year? Yeah. He uh, understands he, the well, game. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a teammate. You appreciate a team like that. Uh, why I think uh, you remember the one that I, I believe it was Gary Onov gave one away the other night um, in, in, in uh, Star's own zone. He was right about the faceoff dot. He got the puck and he just turned and fired and he, he threw it right to uh, the defenseman. Yeah. yeah. That's what to me, that was the straw that kind of said, okay, I don't like that. He's not playing. He's not playing smart. We're, we're a, a team that takes care of our own end. And, and that's not the only one. He's probably had a couple other ones that, that the coaching staff has recognized and he's, his assignments, he, he's loose on his assignments, what he's supposed to do in the neutral zone and probably in his own zone. That one might've been the one that said, Hey, we got to take him out of game. I'll talk to him. Need him to, you know, think about this, think about that. They probably put some things together for him to look at uh, on video. And, and and what you have to do when you, when you start giving players videos, you, you just can't pile on with negative stuff. You, you have to be able to show three or four clips of where, man, you can't be making this play. But you leave them with five or six clips where they made the right play and leave them, let them leave the room in a good way yeah. and go, okay, yeah, that's, that's how I would do it so that you get your point across and we know you can do it. You've been doing it, but right now it's slipping. And, and so you take, like I said, I go back to the beginning, like you're not taking out a, a, a fourth line guy or a 13 or 14 forward that just got in the lineup. You're not sitting him out. That impact doesn't have a lot. They, the other players know what Gary Onuf can bring to the club. 
And I'm assuming he's probably well-liked within the team. And, and it hurts them just as much to have a guy like that, a teammate that, you know, you, you appreciate and you like on and off the ice and things like that. So, you know, it's not just for Dariana. This is, this, this could be a group message that they're sending. We're not happy. We need more of this. Let's see you guys get behind Dennis when he gets back in the lineup. So yeah. maybe that's what you're going to see tonight. Okay. So I'm going to tell you my fighting story to end. You ready? Oh, please. Well, it's, it's going to be pretty damn short. No way. This is a great story. That's really not that great. Got to be over even before it starts. No, come on. Come on. I was the instigator. So a few years back when the All-Star game was at the AAC, uh, they did the Dennis Leary Firefighters Charity Fundraiser. And it was floor hockey. And they set up, you know, the bounce houses. So they kind of had a rink of bounce house where it's, Hard pavement, but, you know, if you got thrown into the boards, it bounced you back, essentially. I'm sure you were asked to go into that charity game, and you couldn't make it. And the reason I asked that is because I got a call to play in the charity game, and my response was, I'm not a celebrity. (laughs) And they said, no, you're a big hockey guy. You know, at the time, I was on the Russ Martin show, and they said, no, we want you. So I show up. They introduce the whole celebrity team, including several former stars, and I'm left on the bench. And one of the stars of Rescue Me comes over to me and says, how come they didn't introduce you? And we're playing against firefighters. And the firefighters were all lined up and the celebrities are all lined up. And I said, don't worry about it. It's all good. Let's just start the game. You know, we had the national anthem and everything. And I said, no, no, no. She runs out and they brought in a PA announcer. Wait, she runs out. Did yeah. you find a woman? The coach was one. Our coach was a woman. Yeah. Oh, I thought you. I no, thought you had a no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. I'd lose that. So, um, that's she, your track record. <laughs> 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 that was well done. That was well done. That was well done. So, I mean, you're going to say at the end of this, that's like, hey, you know what? That's a good job, Gavin. So, no, she, I'm just waiting for it to get over with. Oh, Jesus. So she goes up to the guest PA announcer from out of town and says, like, hey, there's this guy, and this guy makes a big deal of it. He's like, wait, what's that? We have a special guest, a special celebrity guest. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, this is all on microphone. So they bring me out, and he wants to interview me. And he says, Gavin, do you have any words about today's game? And all I could think of is, you know, I mean, got to put on a show. There's people watching. So I grabbed the microphone, and I said, absolutely. I said, I appreciate every one of you as a firefighter and how you protect and save us. But in today's game, if you want to drop the mitts, find me first. And the PA announcer didn't know what to do. He thought I was totally serious. And we played the game, and that was it. Did you actually play, or did you pack up and leave? Are you kidding me? I was a plus two. (laughs) Are you kidding me? boy, Mighty Mouse. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I did? You know what I did, though, as a celebrity game? So I'm in the face-off circle because I was playing center. And I always wanted to do the thing where you twist, so I wanted to put the floor hockey puck between my legs. And so it was perfect. Got the draw, pushed it back. I think I pushed it back to Benoit Hogue. I think he was playing in that game. So I pushed it back. I couldn't twist the... <laughs> The the stick back on my on I had to drop the stick and then pick it up. <laughs> I felt like such a fledgling. Well, a great story say, though, right? Come on, you're supposed to laugh at my stories. Well, I I couldn't wait for it to get over. Oh my and god, I'm, I, I'm scared that we don't even have to sign off because I don't know if anybody's even listening anymore. Or not. No, come on, Craig. I mean, that, this is a conversation. Four and a half of my life, I'm never going to get back. No, this is a conversation. You could tell stories. I could tell stories. That's what this is about. You know, it's not just Q and A. Mine, I think, are a little bit more believable. I mean, you had a little bit of a better career than I did. I, I get that. You know, I'm happy to tell radio stories like the time that I tried to fight you and you pulled the sweater <laughs> over my face. I get it. I lost that round. Luckily, uh, you didn't throw any knucks. Hey, just so you know, as far as pull, you, you lift sweaters over your face you don't pull them over like you're too low to have to you have to actually lift you up to pull it over your head i'm just saying you know it, yeah. it, if there was an agitator going after me i know my buddy craig ludwood would step in 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, we uh, we could just we like could, when we're at the bar of, and I step in as the perfect wingman somewhere. <laughs> we should. <laughs> well, we should just do this show live somewhere. We, we will. can actually we can we, we can try that. We will. We will. We absolutely will. Yes. Look forward to it. It's going to be great. We'll have some beers. It'll be great. Frosties. Love it. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of this fine hockey podcast, Spits and Suds, we call it. He's two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Have a great day, everyone.